Good morning and welcome to the Dillon County Crisis Satellite Center podcast for September 2021. Today we have with us Ms. Patricia Manning. Uh, good morning. And my name is Patricia Manning and I'm a volunteer for PD Coalition in Dillon County. And presently, the county is serving seven counties, Chesterfield, Darlington, Dillon, Florence, Marlboro, Marion, Williamsburg. The PD Coalition is a nonprofit volunteer organization, and we are dedicated to the reduction of sexual assault, family violence, and child abuse. And the focus of the coalition is on meeting the needs of the victims, and it is the belief of PD Coalition that the reduction of family violence, sexual assault, and child abuse or child maltreatment is a community issue. And of course, the impacts of all, of all aspects of society, not only women and not only the service providers. And as a volunteer, I share the, share the goal of PD Coalition. And our goal is to promote a safer, more compassionate community. And the organization, which is a very good organization, that strives to bring awareness through numerous efforts to enhance the lives of families, women, and children. We live in a society, and when we live in it, it's crucial to protect, to protect individuals who are vulnerable. Health, safety, and well-being are basic human rights. As stated earlier, family violence, sexual assault, child maltreatment, these are public health issues. And these maladies affect all segments of society, and it's regardless of ethnicity, gender, or socioeconomic status. And the risk is greater for individuals with any type of disability. And today we'll be discussing um, vulnerable individuals in our population. In 2014, Pierce said that Women and girls with disabilities are particularly vulnerable to discrimination, exploitation, and violence. And this includes gender-based gender bias, but they have difficulty assessing support and services that could reduce this risk and vulnerability. And while reading this quote, it's probably true because this is likely because that they may not be able to express or understand what is happening. And this is why it is important for family and service providers to be diligent and observant. PD Coalition provides information for individuals and groups to, re to recognize when something, is, when something is wrong. And through the training at PD Coalition, I started as an intern, and a lot of the, the, uh, the awareness training we have is on communication, and we have cultural training. And I think that's very important because when you're dealing with people that are vulnerable, it could be that they have a type of disability where they can't speak or they're not able to communicate what they need to tell you. It could be um, something within their culture. A lot of times with children, the culture they're in, they're always taught to, you have to listen to adults. You have to do what an adult tells you to do. Um, you're not supposed to question anything. So the, the cultural training from the coalition allows us to see what, what's really going on. That way you get a chance to really know the people and the population that you're working with and being able to communicate is very important. Um, sometimes people, they, they may they may not be able to communicate, such as the, um, in this study, 
so that um, women or anybody with a disability, particularly women, they may not able they may not be able to really tell what's wrong or they may not have any, any understanding of what is going on. So communication is very important and it involves not only talking, but you have to listen and able to uh, communicate with people. Nonverbal communication is very important. A lot of times it's not what is said, it's what, what is not being said. You watch for, for gestures and you watch for the, the movement and the, the, the whole demeanor of the person, the, um, the coalition with the volunteers, there's the training you go through and you have a chance, the opportunity to go through. It's an entire training with the, um, with the course, how it's explained. The individuals tell you what you look for. So you will be able to recognize when you're trying to help someone with a disability, some of the key things that you might want to, to look for, not just what they're saying and not just what you're saying, but also being able to listen and kind of read between the lines and look beyond the, the boundaries of what you see. And there is a need for information and literature on this topic. And while I was preparing for the podcast, I talked with parents and caregivers of adults with special needs. And the, the people that I had opportunity to talk to, each one listed among the top three concerns or their fears or anything is the thought or the threat that their family member or their child might face some type of danger of assault or some type of attack. And I know this this feeling, it, it's, a, it's genuine, it's real, because I have an adult son diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, ASD. And it's a spectrum because if you've seen one person with autism, you've just seen one. It's a spectrum because there's many different, you know, it manifests in many different ways. Sometimes um, a person diagnosed with ASD might just look normal, uh, quote-unquote, as we say normal. They may have, they just have the different um, characteristics that will place them on the spectrum. But um, I, I do understand this because, um, but we've always communicated with him about good touch, bad touch, not only good touch, bad touch, but uh, good sound and bad sound. Everyone, regardless of how they learn or how they can um, communicate and how they get through this world, they understand when someone's not nice to them. They understand. That's why I think as, as parents or caregivers or people in the service provided industry, we need to encourage people. We, to, a, a person is in your care, a vulnerable adult, make sure that you're talking to them in the right way, that they understand when, when um, they'll understand when something is not right. Even if they can't verbally say it, they'll understand when, when something is not right with them. And, um, and my, with my, in my family, we understand that with my son, his health and and his health and safety, it is a priority. In fact, my son, he doesn't talk. Um, he, he gestures and he writes down what he wants uh, me to know. He does have a way of communicating with his siblings and um, and he'll let you know what's going on. And it's uh, important for all parents and caregivers and to be diligent and, and, and vigilant against predators because anyone who may want to harm their children or family members, and I advise parents and caregivers on the signs that may indicate maltreatment. And some of the signs, of course, that you can look for, first of all, and foremost, um, uh, bruises, scars, any type of, um, anything that, that, you can, that you can physically see. But also, it's not the things that you can see, it's the, um, if there's changes in demeanor, 
changes in their appetite, changes in, in their sleeping patterns. Um, they may not want to go certain places. They may not want to be around certain people. They may become clingy. And a lot of times they're, uh, they may become a, um, a person that's kind of maybe just what we say, just kind of easygoing. They may become aggressive. You look for things like that. You know, you know what's just and just go with what was within you when something is wrong. And also inclusive in this vulnerable population are the English language learners, the ELL or English as a second language, have uh, uh, with the disability. And because you got to understand, people who who seek to do harm prey upon people who they determine don't have a voice. And if you're in a, um, we primarily speak English. That that, that that's the language. A lot of people, if that's their second language or their English language learners, a lot of times they may not be able to communicate to the people that really need to know what is going on with them. So that, that makes them vulnerable as well. So pay attention to things that are, once again, it's not only what is said, but things that are not said. The um, Those nonverbal cues, look for um, um, any type of, anything that's out of, out of the ordinary on their body. Things of that nature, and so m most um, um, care providers, teachers, social workers, the doctors and nurses, the mandated reporters, and also they can they they, they see it, and it needs to be reported. Things things covered up don't heal, and that's in all aspects of life. If it's covered up physically, it won't heal sometimes, but if it's co covered up things that are psychological or mental, it it won't heal as well. So. Um, and so um, I started at PD Coalition as an intern. Now I am a volunteer because I just I just thought it was an, um, just a joy to embrace the opportunity to show people how much they matter. And that a lot of people, when they come in, they don't feel like they have a voice and that they're not able to say anything. Because abuse and sexual assault often leave people with a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. And when when the, when you're at that point, just um, as I said, I started as an intern for, for one of my classes. And when you read it in the textbook, and they have uh, a lot of cases and scenarios, it they're like that. But to see it in real person, to see people coming in in real time, and being able to discuss things that are happening in their lives, it gives you a whole other perspective about, to me, the, the scope of what PD Coalition is all about. Um, being able to help people just um, to make, to bring a wholeness to their lives. And we understand that where we are now and, and the point that we are in our lives now, we've been locked in for right now, I think, around 400 plus days. We've been in a pandemic. And it's when, when things like that are happening... When we're in a pandemic, when things, when that's happening, we have to understand that. We'll take a brief minute. Um, so Patricia can turn her phone off. And what Patricia is saying is that humanity, at its highest, protects, nurtures, and cares for those who cannot fend for themselves. Humanity at its greatest lives and empowers people. And PD Coalition seeks to create a safe, trusting environment 
It is our hope that every person is safe, valued, and treated with dignity, respect, and self-worth. And as a society, we must continue to work to effect change. And Patricia is now back, so she's going to continue with what she was discussing. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, and as to, um, really, because uh, as, as people, caring people as a society, we must continue to work to affect a better change, a good change, and an excellent, an excellent way to begin is by implementing these actions. In fact, these are some of the, um, the watchwords at the coalition. It's con connect, contribute, collaborate, and communicate. First of all, we need to connect with people. The connection, um, when people come in, uh, this is with, I think this is with, with anything, wherever you, you have to have a connection with people. People respond to genuineness. They respond to openness. They respond to empathy. They don't like um, the fake, I know exactly what's happening with you. They, I don't, they really won't respond to, you really have to have a connection with people. And with the coalition, I like that um, the community connections that we that we are um, that we've been um, making in the community with uh, even with the, the other organizations, the faith based communities, and just connecting with people in the the um, within the community and in the neighborhood. And you've got to know how to connect with people, and that means uh, knowing the key people and the key players in the in where, wherever you are when you're talking. To people with what's going on, uh, family violence and um, sexual assault and child abuse. There's some people in the community you really need to get to know, and it's different for it's different from wherever you are. In some communities, it may be a church leader. It might not necessarily be the pastor of that church. It may be somebody in that church. For a lot of people, it might be um, the really the, the the oldest person in the neighborhood. Miss Ann, who knows everybody in there, I know your daddy and your granddaddy. I remember when you were born. They know things that are going on in the neighborhood. That's a connection you need to make. A lot of times you need um, connected with um, people who understand that this is serious and that confidentiality is very, very important. Also, you like to contribute. And within, um, and I like to. Um, with, with that, with contribute, I'd like to do two things. First of all, as stated earlier, PD Coalition is a nonprofit organization. If you have anything that you would like to contribute, that includes your resources, your time, uh, volunteers are always needed. I think that's a very good idea. Anything that you want to contribute because the coalition is given out to the community, it would be nice, I think, for a two-way for people to contribute to the community as well. Also, we collaborate. Just earlier stated, most of the agencies in the, um, within this county, in Dillon County, we tend to try to work together across lines. We work with um, closely with DSS and the faith-based communities. We have um, you have to have kind of like a, a, a working relationship with um, law enforcement. You have to know how to just everything that's going on because one one will affect the other because. As stated, a lot of these um, family violence, it, it spills off into a lot of things. Usually if there's a lot of family violence, children may not be coming to school, or they may not be coming to school on time, or they may be coming to school hungry or hurt or dirty. That has to, you have to collaborate with those agencies. Also, um, with the, uh, the resources, um, 
whomever is supposed to really take care of the children, they may not have the access to the resources. So you have to collaborate that way with those agencies. And then, of course, you have to communicate. And to me, um, communication for, for with my training, that was one of the most important um, trainings that I've, that I've been through with, with just about anything I've done. Because you have to know how to communicate in an effective way. You have to be concise. You have to uh, know how to do it across I've, you know, many, many areas, many genres, you've got to know um, how to maneuver and get through different things. You have to know how to communicate it. You have to know how to uh, read it and know what you're reading. You have to know how to write it out and know what you're writing about. You know how you have to speak to um, the, the, the needs and the, the grasp of need for all people in all different areas in all communities. And, um, the communication part of the of the coalition is very important. As stated before, this is a nonprofit organization, and it was started out just like most social social programs. It came out of a social need and a social justice. They want that to keep you um, first and foremost. We would like for you to keep that before you when you think about um, organizations in the community. Make sure that you tell people about PD Coalition. I've had the opportunity to, to do that, um, that, the, that the coalition is here and we're serving the needs of people in the community, um, namely women and children, but this is a family issue and it's a public health issue and we want everyone to be as safe as we can be. And I think this is important to do now since we're in and there's so many people together for whatever reason, we want it to be as smooth as possible. And if, and if you have a need to talk with anyone at the coalition, the, there's a 1-800 number available that you can call. So um, we want you to be aware that there's a, uh, it's 24 hours you can call. And here in the PD area, we do serve, once again, we serve the, the counties we serve are Chesterfield, Darlington, Dillon, Florence, Marlboro, Marion, in Williamsburg counties, and I think their offices in Dillon, Bennettsville, Marion, and Florence, if I'm not mistaken, those are the satellite offices that uh, that are in those particular counties, and they can get get uh, information for you to get to uh, safe shelters, and um, th th there's a, a children's home that you may want to get in touch with, no, no, with the um, get in touch with the shelters. If you might have a need for that, there's counseling available. The counseling is free. And you can um, make yourself, uh, avail yourself to the counseling services or anything that would be what you have a need of because the coalition is, we want to reduce family violence, sexual assault, child abuse and child maltreatment. And we want this to be part of all aspects of what we're trying to do across the county. Not only, once again, not only for women, but we want this a family issue, we want to involve the family, the children, it's not just for service providers, it's for everybody to take a part of because in order for us to become a whole society, everyone has to do their part. And again, we want to say thank you for being here with us today and for being a part of the coalition. And remember, we want you to be safe. The coalition has centers that assist children of child abuse, 
the Durant Centers. They're located in Hartsville, Florence, and Sumter County. We do not house children without parents in our shelters. Those centers are available and our contact information can be made available by phone or by internet services. Just type in PD Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Assault. Also, our 1-800 number is 1-800-273-1820. Our Dillon County Satellite Center is located in the city of Dillon, and it is 1101 Highway 301 North. Our contact number from 830 to 5 is 843-774-0898. Thank you for listening, and thank you, Patricia. Patricia okay. is has been volunteering with our organization since 2016. As she stated, she came in as an intern. She has done wonderful work with our organization with volunteering. And if you need any information concerning volunteering with this organization, please call us and we'll be glad to provide that information. Good morning and welcome back to the Dillon County podcast for PDC Talks, Health, Safety and Wellbeing. We are recording today from the County Satellite Crisis Center located at 1101 Highway 301 North in Dillon, South Carolina. We're presenting to you today important information on victim advocacy. Why is it important, not just for Dillon County, but for all who value the basic human desire to be free from physical threat and harm? My name is Glenda, and I am the volunteer and community education coordinator for the Dillon Satellite Center. Now I'm going to introduce to you a law enforcement victim advocate that serves the community here in Dillon. Ms. Regina Townsend of the Dillon County Sheriff's Department. Good day to you, Regina, and thank you for agreeing to join our podcast today. My first request is that each, well, my first request is that you provide us with a brief history of serving as a LEVA, which is a law enforcement victim advocate. How long have you served, where you're located, and what crime victims do you assist? Good morning, uh, Ms. Glenda, and thank you for having me. Um, I am Regina Townsend, the law enforcement victim advocate for the Dillon County Sheriff's Office. Uh, for the past 20 years, since 2002, I have been providing victim services. I am located at the Dillon County Judicial Center. My office is in the Sheriff's Office at 1033 Old Ladder Highway, Suite A. As a victim service provider, I assist a variety of crime victims with any crimes against them. I graduated from the South Carolina Victim Assistance Academy in 2009 and am a certified victim service provider. Okay, and thank you for that information. What type of crimes do you assist with? 
Um, the crimes range from uh, any property, um, domestic violence, sexual assaults, um, burglaries, um, any crime that has been committed against a person or property. As domestic violence and sexual assault advocates for the PD Coalition, we provide support for victims during the court process. Is that something you as a lever, a law enforcement victim advocate do as well? If so, what courts and what support do you provide? Yes, absolutely. I do provide support um, by uh, attending um, the initial process as it relates to bond court, uh, which is held in the magistrate court, um, domestic violence and sexual assault. Uh, I keep the victim abreast as to uh, what's happening with the court process uh, as it progresses. Um, I stay in that role until the cases have been transmitted to the general sessions um, court through our solicitor's office where the process is continued. I do provide transportation to court on an as-needed basis, assist with filing any death or injury claims, as well as counseling claims on the behalf of the victims, and that is for financial assistance as well as any type of emergency assistance as it relates to a violent crime. I also make referrals to the PD Coalition for our domestic violence and sexual assault victims. When we present to the community on the topic of intimate partner violence, which we can include sexual assault, there is usually someone in attendance that asks, will you share a story of a victim? At the time, I'm asking you to provide a success story of any type of crime victim that you work with. Uh, back in the year um, 2009, there was a double homicide of an elderly married couple that occurred in one of our small communities. And it was a tragedy that really shocked our small town um, shortly after a, another incident involving an elderly um, victim. The community was on high alert as you know, everyone was afraid because of what had taken place. But after uh, 25 days, as a matter of fact, the suspect was named and through an investigation, the suspect was arrested and convicted of two counts of murder, a burglary first charge, armed robbery, and weapons violations. Uh, I do consider that a success story because of the time frame um, that the person, this dangerous murderer, was taken off the streets and convicted um, of this heinous crime. 
Um, the family, um, they're still dealing with the loss, but they're doing uh, much better and they have gotten their lives back on track as well as they can. But they do still struggle with the pain as they will not forget um, this crime and justice was served uh, in a timely manner. As community service providers, we know that collaboration is a very important piece of the puzzle that can transform a victim into a survivor. What are your thoughts on why it is important to collaborate with our organization? I do feel that it's important to collaborate with the PD Coalition because as victim advocates, we can only assist victims as far as our resources will allow. Um, the PD Coalition can provide certain services that we're not able to provide. Um, we work together to make sure the victim receive our resources available. Um, and some of those resources, um, as a law enforcement victim advocate, I cannot provide, and they are provided through the um, PD Coalition. So both our goals are the same, to make sure that the victim of crimes is receiving the best quality of care and the best information possible to help them get through their issue to become survivors. Absolutely. Whatever we can do collectively to make sure that that victim um, receives the best quality services um, to make their lives whole again. As advocates, we know that denial is just another word for darkness. And with this, the victims of intimate partner violence, they often do not report. As advocates for the PD Coalition, we encourage reporting. At this time, please walk the listeners through what your role as a law enforcement victim advocate, Leva, does after you receive a report. Okay, sure. Um, after receiving a report, I will reach out uh, and make contact with the victim via telephone or in person. Uh, first of all, to formally introduce myself explain the resources that are available that I can provide, the resources that uh, PD Coalition can provide. I um, explain these resources that are available, walk them through the court process as to what takes place from beginning to the end. I also give the victims an opportunity to speak and ask any questions that they may have so that they can fully understand the process. And, um, and I always leave them with my contact information um, if they should have any questions or concerns after the initial conversation. As you're aware, the PD Coalition serves Dillon, Marlborough, Darlington, Florence, Marion, and Williamburg County in providing information to the officers or victim. What do you tell them in regard to PD Coalition, which you, in a sense, have already wrapped up what you say, 
But what do you tell your officers? You, we, we know what you tell your victims, mm-hmm. but how do you address your officers? What do you say to your officers of the Sheriff's Department of Dillon County in regards to PD Coalition? Um, before I get into the officers, I do want to say that I, when I speak to the victims, um, lots of times they... Um, they feel that they cannot receive these services because of financial status. But I do let them know that um, the services provided by the PD Coalition is at no cost to them. And as far as the officers, um, I do advise them that anytime there is a uh, domestic violence issue, uh, sexual assault, of that nature to please contact the uh, PD Coalition so that they can further explain their role to the victims and let them know that um, the PD Coalition is there for them and that they will provide these services for them. Um, and I make sure that the officers um, are compassionate, you know, um, and do as much as they can to comfort the victims until we can contact PD Coalition and have someone um, on site. Regina, you've been a, a, a wealth of information today and thank you for coming to the center here and working with us on this podcast. And we encourage the public to know that there are people there that will provide you assistance and that we do collaborate together to make sure that everyone receives the care and the understanding that they need to to get to be to a survivor. Even if you are not a victim of domestic violence, sexual assault, or child abuse, you may be the victim of someone breaking into your home, which is a personal violation to you. You may be a victim of a hit and run. You may be a victim of a shooting. You may be a victim of anything else that takes place in the county. And know that the Sheriff's Department here in Dillon takes you and will work with you and will do the best that they can and refer you to us if it's needed. Again, the Dillon Center is located at 1101 Highway 301 North in Dillon, and the Sheriff's Department is located 1033 Old Ladder Highway, and we're in Suite A. It is called the Judicial Center. Yes, okay. Dillon County Judicial Center. Yes, and it is right beside the Detention Center. That is correct. That is correct. So we are available 24-7. The 1-800 number for the coalition is 800-273-1820. It is available for you even on the holidays, even on the weekends. And the Sheriff's Department number is? My direct line is area code 843-841-3877. Thank you so much for uh, joining us today. And we appreciate you coming and helping us with this podcast. And I'd like to say to our listeners, the Dillon County Center will be giving another podcast 
in the um it's November in January. So please stay tuned for the Dylan podcast in January, which we will be talking about stalking. And then also we have other counties who present with the following months each time. So thank you so much for coming and goodbye to our listeners today. Hello and welcome back to the PD Coalition Talks, PDC Talks, Health, Safety, and Well-Being. We are recording here today from the Dillon County Satellite Crisis Center located at 1101 Highway 301 North. Our topic today is stalking. We will be presenting to our listeners how stalking affects intimate partner violence, the LGBTQ community, and college students. South Carolina Code of Law 16-3-1700 defines stalking as a pattern of words or conduct of any form that has no true purpose. It is done in order to inflict on a person or would inflict reasonable person fear of death, assault, bodily injury, criminal sexual contact, kidnapping, or property damage to the person or member of their family. Aggravated stalking is stalking accompanied by an act of violence. The penalties in the state of South Carolina for stalking are a person convicted of stalking is guilty of a felony and fined a maximum of $5,000, faces up to five years in jail or both. A person convicted of stalking when an injunction or restraining order is in place is guilty of a felony and fined a maximum of $7,000, faces up to 10 years in jail or both. A person convicted of stalking with a prior conviction of harassment or stalking within the past 10 years is guilty of a felony and must be fined a maximum of $10,000, a 15-year jail sentence, or both. I have here with me today Ashley Holligan, who is the Volunteer and Community Education Coordinator with the Marion County Satellite Crisis Center, and Amber Graves, who is an intern from Pembroke University. Good day to both of you, and thank you for agreeing to join our podcast. Good morning. morning. Did you know the majority of stalking victims are stalked by someone they know? Many victims are stalked by a current or former intimate partner. 74% of those stalked by a former intimate partner reported violence and control during their relationship. The average length of a partner stalking is approximately 2.2 years. 81% of women who were stalked by a current or former husband or cohabitating partner will also physically assaulted by their partner. 31% of women stalked by an intimate partner were also sexually assaulted. 
46% of victims experienced one or more violent incidents by their stalker. 57% of stalking victims were stalked during the relationship. Now I'm going to turn the conversation over to Ashley, who is going to provide information on stalking and the LGBTQ population. Generally, research shows that LGBTQ individuals are more likely than heterosexual and cisgender individuals to experience stalking. So what does LGBTQ plus stand for? LGBTQ plus is an acronym used as an umbrella term for a range of sexual minority and gender non-conforming identities. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, referring to, the, to sexual orientation, transgender, queer, referring to gender identity, and the plus sign at the end expands the acronym to include additional sexual orientations and gender identities not specifically listed. Stalking victimization and how it affects LGBTQ individuals. One in three bisexual women, one in five lesbian women, and one in six heterosexual women have experienced stalking victimization in their lifetimes. One in nine gay men, one in 14 bisexual men, and one in 20 heterosexual men have experienced stalking victimization in their lifetimes. Among 18 to 24 year olds after high school, nearly one in two lesbians and bisexual women, more than two in five gay and bisexual white men and men of color, and nearly two in five lesbians and bisexual women of color experience stalking victimization. Active duty service members identifying as LGBTQ are four times more likely than non-LGBT service members to experience sexual harassment, two times more likely to experience stalking, and two times more likely to experience sexual assault. So what is the impact of stalking on victims? 46% of stalking victims fear not knowing what will happen next. 29% of stalking victims fear the stalking will never stop. 13% of stalking victims lose time from work due to fear or concerns for safety. 12% lose time from work due to getting a protection order or testifying in court, and more than half lose five days of work or more. 11% of stalking victims move as a result of their victimization. Stalking victims suffer much higher rates of depression, anxiety, insomnia, and social dysfunction than people in the general population. LGBTQ plus individuals have higher rates of mental health issues when compared to heterosexual cisgender individuals, which researchers believe stem from stigma, prejudice, and discrimination that heightens stress levels and predisposes them to adverse health outcomes. LGBTQ individual, individuals have historically faced and continue to face stigma, prejudice, discrimination, violence, 
and a lack of understanding in daily life when assessing services. They often experience a hostile and stressful environment. Listening, being open, and treating victims with respect is essential. So here's what we know about stalking offenders. The majority of stalking victims are stalked by someone they know. Many victims are stalked by a current or former intimate partner or by an acquaintance. 64% of stalkers pursue their victims at least once per week, many daily, using more than one method. 78% of stalkers use more than one means of approach. 19% of stalkers use a weapon to threaten and or harm their victims. And 31% of stalkers have stalked before. Thank you, Ashley, for that information you provided. It is assumed by some that stalking only happens to one type of population. <clears throat> it is important that all know that when any relationship or assumed relationship on behalf of the stalker can happen to anyone and any age. At this time, Amber Graves will share information concerning stalking and college students. Stalking is a violation of student conduct codes in Title IX and a crime under the laws of the 50 states, District of Columbia, U.S. territories, and federal government. Between 6 and 39% of college students report being stalked since entering college. College students at higher risk for experiencing stalking include women, students of color, sexual minority and gender non-conforming students, students with disabilities, students living off campus, and younger students. Among undergraduates stalked by an intimate partner, 32% were sexually assaulted the prior academic year, 27% experienced co-occurring threats for a partner to hurt themselves, the victim, or someone the victim loves. 11% experienced co-occurring physical assault by an intimate partner. 43% of college stalking victims who meet the legal criteria of stalking do not identify their experience as stalking. Among college stalking victims, 92% tell family or friends, 29% contact a program or resource for help more than victims of sexual harassment. Of those who contact a, co a campus program for help, 40% say it was extremely or very useful, and 35% say it was little or not useful at all. 18 to 24 year olds experience the highest rates of stalking among adults. This makes it vital for colleges to appropriately address stalking on campus and ensure services are accessible to all victims. The majority of college student victims are stalked by someone they know. Most stalkers are also students. The most common stalker are former intimate partners, closely followed by someone the victim knows or recognizes but is not a friend, then friends, 
classmates, and current intimate partners. The most common stalking behavior reported by college stalking victims include unwanted voice or text messages, 45%, unwanted emails or social media, 44%, being approached or seeing the stalker show up at places when the victim did not want them there, 37%. Stalkers misuse common technology and use specialized technology to facilitate stalking. 24% of college stalking victims have had a stalker create a fake profile pretending to be the victim. 21% have experienced spoofing, calls, texts, or emails in which the stalker makes the contact seem that it is coming from someone else. 16% have been doped had private or identifying information publicly published online. 16% have had the victim of non-consensual sharing of intimate images. School-related impacts for stalking victims include difficulty concentrating in class, on assignments and during exams, missing meetings and extra extracurricular activities, dropping classes, lower grades, considering dropping out of school, changing living situations like moving out of the dorms. Amber, you provided our listeners with valuable information. I just want to repeat that stalking is a violation of student code, conduct code, and Title IX. We urge all students to be alert, aware, and report. Before ending our podcast, I once again want to thank you both for your participation today and our listeners for tuning in on this very important topic of stalking. This information was provided to the PD Coalition from SPARCE, S-P-A-R-C, Stalking Prevention and Resource Center in Washington, D.C. If you are interested in receiving this information, go to stalkingawareness.org. This podcast was brought to you today from the PD Coalition Against Domestic and Sexual Assault, which serves Chesterfield, Darlington, Dillon, Florence, Marion, Marlboro, and Williamsburg counties. The coalition operates a 24-hour crisis line, 1-800-273-273. 1820. Once again, thank you for listening. Hello, listeners. This podcast is being recorded today from the PD Coalition Dillon Satellite Crisis Center, which is located at 1101 Highway 301 North. Today's conversation brought to you is substance use and domestic violence. Does substance use cause domestic violence or does domestic violence cause substance use? The National Coalition Against Domestic Violence reports on the average, nearly 20 people per minute are physically abused by an intimate partner in the United States. During one year, this equates to more than 10 million women and men. Listeners, today we are privileged to have as our co-host, Elizabeth S. Clark. 
Director of Community Services with Trinity Behavior Care. Good day to you, Miss Elizabeth. Before we dive into our topic, please share with our listeners the what, who, and where of Trinity and your position there. Good day to everyone. Trinity Behavior Care is your local counseling and substance use disorder treatment facility. Our mission is to prevent and reduce the impact of alcohol and other drug misuse in Marion, Dillon, and Marlboro counties on a quality of life through the implementation of effective, efficient, meaningful quality primary prevention, intervention, and treatment services. I am the Director of Community Services and Prevention. Let's start with our first question, Ms. Elizabeth. What is the connection between violence and alcohol? There is a connection between violence and alcohol. Excessive alcohol use and violence, suggesting that alcohol use may promote aggressiveness while victims of the violence may be led to drinking more following physical harm. Studies also show that the more a person drinks, the more severe the violence may become. According to the CDC, an estimate 88,000 people die every year due to alcohol-related issues, including homicide, sexual assault, intimate partner violence, and suicide. Various factors such as environment, individual and social beliefs, dependency in experiencing or witnessing aggression can all contribute to the links between alcohol consumption and violence. Alcohol intoxication alone does not cause violence, but its direct efforts, effects may interact with other factors to influence the experience of aggression. Any amount of alcohol consumption disrupts normal brain function. It weakens the brain's mechanism that allows restraint impulse behavior, such as aggression, and can lead to misjudging situations and overreacting. For example, when a person is intoxicated, a small disagreement may quickly escalate to a physical fight because the drunk individual may feel unnecessarily threatened. That's some great information about the connection between violence and alcohol. Let's move on to our next question. Does alcoholism lead to domestic violence? Yes. People who have been drinking cannot think clearly or control their emotions. Something that would be a minor inconvenience while sober may feel like a significant issue when someone is drunk. The inclusion of alcohol into someone's life can increase the potential of violent behaviors. However, alcohol itself does not directly cause domestic violence or other forms of, of, of abuse. So let me reiterate what you're saying. Alcohol itself does not directly cause domestic violence. Correct. What is battering? Or what is the domestic violence? Battering is defined as an abusive act between two people and it's never okay. 
battering often coincide with psychological and sexual abuse. 1.5 million intimate partner rapes and physical assaults occur yearly against women. 800,000 intimate partner rapes and physical assaults occur yearly against men. Substance-related violence affect individuals, families, and communities worldwide. There is evidence of the connection between excessive consumption of alcohol and violence. Even those who consume moderate amount suffer from aggressive behaviors. Alcohol and drug use heighten the risk of violent death and violence between people, including child abuse, violent relationships, assault, homicide, and sexual violence. Though the link between the use of drug and violence is not direct, these substances usually cause um, people to make people angry or aggressive, which may trigger actions of violent crimes. In addition, they may cause or worsen mental health issues and family or social problems. <clears throat> Does alcohol increase domestic violence? Now this is different from the question, does alcoholism lead to domestic mm -hmm. violence? Right. So does alcohol increase domestic violence? Research indicates there may be a correlation between the risk of domestic violence and so, so certain personality characteristics. For example, alcohol abuse may increase the risk of violence in men who think abuse of women is inappropriate and are under um, economic hardship. So does alcohol increase domestic violence? What we're saying here is that alcohol abuse may increase the risk of violence mm -hmm. in men who think abuse of women is appropriate right. and are also under socioeconomical hardship. Mm -hmm. How much does alcohol contribute to domestic violence? So according to who? The World Health Organization an estimate 55% of domestic um, abuse uh, perpetrators were drinking alcohol prior to an assault. Women who are abused are 15 times more likely to abuse alcohol themselves. According to the American Society of Addiction Medicine, research have found that both victims and abusers are 11 times more likely to be involved in domestic violence incidents on days of heavy abuse, substance use. Prolonged abuse can cause victims to develop lasting health problems such as mental health disorders and eating disorders. Victims may also use drugs or alcohol to cope with the emotional tolls of the abuse. For some, substance abuse may progress to addiction. What impact does substance abuse have on dating violence? So drug and alcohol increase the rate of dating violence and people who are victims of dating violence are at an increased risk of using drugs and alcohol. 
Being drunk or drugged can make someone more likely to physically or emotionally hurt a person that they're in a relationship with. So there, the, there is a correlation mm-hmm. between alcohol and violence. Yes. Many victims that we work with do say at times that the abuser was drinking. And then there are victims who also say that they drink to mask the pain that they're going through. Mm -hmm. This is not always the case. Not every victim, not every abuser abuses alcohol. This is just one type of incident that can take place for a domestic violence situation. I want to thank you for joining our podcast today. Before we end, I want to remind our listeners that PD Coalition provides a 24-hour crisis line, 1-800-273-1820, and a PD Parent Hotline that is 24 hours. 843-618-2420. You can call either of these numbers at any time and an advocate will assist you with information. They will either provide you with the information to seek assistance in your county or they will provide you with information that can assist you in any other way. So please use those contact numbers to report or to let us know that you are in a situation that needs assistance or you know of someone that needs assistance. I want to thank Ms. Elizabeth for being here today from Trinity Behavior Care and that the PD Coalition and Trinity Behavior Care work together to make our town, our city, our county a safe place. Thank you for listening.